and save man's soul. Here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, get ready. I've got one. <laughs> I've got a cough drop, so <clears throat> those of you that are going to get them, bring it up here anyway. <laughs> I'll just keep switching. Preacher reached into his pocket, and uh, he knew that uh, when the mint dissolved, it was time for him to quit preaching. And that day he grabbed a button and preached for two and a half hours. <laughs> so I promise there's a mint right here and it will disappear eventually. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, so I want you to turn there in those Bibles or uh, electronic devices you held up. Who remembers what they were doing during 9-11? Raise your hands if you remember what you were doing during 9-11. Okay. What day was it on? Tuesday. I still remember it. I was a substitute teaching at the Freshman Academy, and the school began to broadcast it on television so we could watch, and uh, we saw the second plane fly into the towers, and the kids were just amazed. There was a little Muslim boy in the classroom, and when they mentioned that this was Muslim extremists that had done this, or Islamic extremists, he kind of sunk down in his seat, and all the other kids began to look at him. And one of the children said, hey, aren't you a preacher? And I said, well, you brought it up. I am. And they said, well, we want to talk about this. And uh, they said, so those crazy Muslims. Did, I said, whoa, 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 just a minute. I said, there were some people that decided to do this, crazy or not crazy. But I said, just because a person says they're Muslim doesn't mean that they're a radical Muslim. And I said, and this young man right here needs your love and support, not your hatred. So we ended up having a really interesting discussion about Christ and about the church. And, um, you know, I hope that that little boy felt okay after we got through. It was never my intention to be derogatory, but boy, I remember it like it was yesterday. And uh, there are certain events and occasions that we tend to remember where we were, what we were doing. Uh, I remember when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. I was walking home from school, and I was, in, I was six years old when that happened. And I thought, wow, wow. Our country forever changed after that. How about when the space shuttle Challenger exploded? Remember that? They kept showing it and showing it, and you're still in disbelief. Lately, I've been wondering about future events. We see the Middle East is still in turmoil. We see the focus is still on the Middle East. And I've wondered about future events. Uh, Cindy and I are crazy about our two grandchildren. Uh, we both look forward to Corey and Megan's children and Mark and Amy's children. Uh, Corey still kids us and says that Mark and Amy will be him and Megan and having kids, and that may be true. I don't know. But... We sure love our two children, our grandchildren that we have. Uh, Kelsey is one of the smartest kids. That, she's smarter than I am. It just scares me to death. Braden, I think I can hold my own with. But he's going to be fun when he hits pre-K, and I'm sure that Jeff and Misty will be on a first-name basis with the teachers. 
I hope to live long enough to see Kelsey leave for college and then be there when she gets married for the for the first time, only time. Every time I listen to Stephen Curtis Chapman's song about dancing with Cinderella, I think of Jeff and Kelsey. And I tear up. I have to pull off the road. Because <laughs> that'll be a very, very special time. But I wonder about those days. I wonder about these future events. You ever wondered what it would be like when Christ returns? You ever thought about that? Are we going to hear the trumpets? Are, are we going to see the the angel Moroni's on top of the temples of Mormon start playing the trumpets? Because that's what they believe. They're actually going to turn from being gold to actually livable, movable angels, and they'll play those trumpets that are sitting on top of the of the Mormon temples. I wonder what? What's going to happen? Will the clouds part? Will we all see him in the air? Will we will we all take off? You ever thought about that? What, what will we be doing? What are we going to be watching on television? Remember a few weeks ago I made fun of Honey Boo Boo. I don't know. She, I hope we're not watching that. Now Duck Dynasty, God God watches Duck Dynasty, so <clears throat> now, that, that'd be a godly thing to be doing, right? Yeah, uh, Psy has come out with a book. Have you seen it? Psychology. Psychology. Uh, I can only imagine what it's from cover to cover. I've often worried that God might come while I'm in the shower. I just, I don't know why, I just. <laughs> Could I get a little bit of an advance notice on, get, you know, get things together here? But none of us wants to be doing anything that's questionable. Amen? We are all hoping that we're going to be doing something that's pleasing to Almighty God. Because we don't want God to think that's what we're all about. But what we are doing in the moment won't really define who we are. Who you are is not a, a snapshot of your life in a moment. So maybe the question for today is not what will you be doing, but what will you have become? Because we are not like we used to be. But Satan reminds us of how we used to be. We've been forgiven of all that used to be. It was nailed to the cross. And you have been eternally forgiven if you've accepted Him as your Savior. Amen? You can throw up a hand on that one. All right. All right. Most of my life I've been five foot eleven and a half. That's what I've always said. I really wanted to be six foot. And I used to say I was six foot tall. And then I'd measure and it'd be five, really about 5'10". <laughs> I was fudging the 11 and a half part. Went to the doctor, you know, do the annual checkup, and I was 5'9". I said, wait, whoa, 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 wait a minute, I'm compressing. What is this about? He said, well, that happens to us when we get older. I said, oh, thanks. Because I want to grow taller. I wanted to grow. I didn't want to compress. I didn't want to go backwards. It's discouraging, doesn't it? But I was surprised to discover that I was shorter, not taller. Why? Because we all stop growing at some point in our lives. 
Some people are shrinking. <laughs> I'm living proof. They're moving in reverse. At one point in our lives, we reach physical maturity. And we actually stop growing. I had, I had a guy tell me this week who, who's a friend of mine, and we have mutual acquaintances, and six people this week asked him if I had cancer. They've seen me from a distance, they haven't seen me in a long time, and they've asked if I had cancer. Many of you have been concerned about my health, and you're just convinced that it's not a vitamin deficiency, even though that's what two doctors have told me. Not one, but two. So take a deep breath. My, my fingernails are starting to grow back. I'm seeing a little bit of hair growth. And so just it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. And it's starting to show up in some unusual places. So, But it's so light you can't tell. Hallelujah. I'm a woman's envy. I have no hair on the bottom of my legs, so it's a good deal. <laughs> but I won't wear shorts because, well, it, it would scare the neighborhood. But nevertheless, we can stop growing, but we should never stop growing. We all hope to arrive someday at a destination. Goals that we've set, we hope to arrive there. That's why we have jobs and homes and children is that we want to see Goals happen in each of these areas of our lives. We want to see our children grow to be productive adults and contributing to, to mankind. We get to a point sometimes where we think we have arrived and so we stop growing because we've already gotten there. I see people doing that spiritually all the time. They maybe read the Bible through once or twice, but <laughs> they think they've arrived. They don't need to read it all the time. But the truth is, we should never stop growing. We should be educating ourselves about new technology. We should be learning new stages of life. We should attend couples retreats to grow in our marriages. Oh, I've been married for a little long, man. We don't need that. It would help you immensely. It'll help you immensely. We should grow in every, every area of our lives, and especially in the spiritual area, because that's the most important area that we should be growing in. We should never be complacent. We should never be satisfied with where we are. So as we look at our text in 1 Thessalonians 4, in our series, How to Prepare for the End of the World, that title is set like that because Paul is talking about the end of the age. And there is something that we can learn about how to get ready. Paul is encouraging us to grow. Look at verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I want you to notice the words that Paul is using here in this verse. Let's take a look. Finally then, brothers, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us how you must walk and please God, here it is, as you are doing, do so how? Even more. Another translation has it, abound more and more. The word abound <clears throat> he uses, is a, that he, and he's using here is a term that means twice. So it's that in the Greek word that's translated abound, it's in verse 1. It's also increased in verse 10. Same word. And it literally means to cause to superabound. Go over and over and over and above. Be in excess is what he's saying here. So he's not talking about material things. He's talking about spiritual things. Not only that, he uses the double imperative more and more. He's clearly telling us that we should be growing in significant ways. So your first fill-in on your outline is a true disciple 
of Jesus never stops growing. You should never stop growing. No matter how long you've been at it, no matter how deep you think you are, there's always room to grow. Those of you that have attended, uh, when Mark Barrier comes to, to do our Bible conferences, you all just kind of shake your heads like this. The guy's 80 years old. What has he got to say to us that we haven't heard before? But he always brings something, doesn't he? I've looked at those passages that he's taught on, I don't know how many times. No, I didn't see that. How did he see that? And is he even telling us the truth? Sometimes I think he's just lying to us anyway. Just to impress us with his knowledge. And you and I both know better than that. I remember one person at the church after his first time for that person, he was here. They said, man, I'm a dumber than I thought I was. <laughs> well, we're never too old to learn. Always be teachable in your life. And that's what we need to understand about being a true disciple of Jesus. We never stop growing. Paul's desire for you and, you and, you and I is that we keep growing. In his own words, in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12, not that I have already attained it or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. He hadn't already got it. He hasn't already been perfected yet. And yet he's an old man writing this. He's a, he's a man that's lived a long life, experienced a lot of things, but he's still being teachable. You see, we must be teachable. So what is it to grow spiritually? Not, not, it's not just saying that we believe in God. It's not just attending church, though those are important things. God is looking for growth in our lives. So how do I know if I'm growing? Well, I'm going to give you three indicators of spiritual growth today. Let's first of all look in uh, chapter 4, verses 2 through 8. Therefore, the person who rejects this does not reject man but God, who also gives you His Holy Spirit. What's that? Did I skip a verse somewhere? Well, just keep going. About brotherly love. <laughs> you don't need me to write to you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you are doing this toward all the brothers in the entire region of Macedonia. All right. Well, we're going to keep going anyway. We'll catch up with that. The first indicator is how I act. The first indicator is how I act. My computer must have got the slides out of order. It's, you can't trust these computers, those of you that... Especially that particular computer. It's, it's set on fire by hell itself, I'm telling you this. I may need to get a new computer. Oh, Jeff, now, quit. I know they all look back at Jeff and he has nothing to do with this. Except he's the one that did buy the computer. From, no, I'm teasing. Let's move. But how do I act? That's the first indicator. In the margin somewhere, write the word obedience because action and obedience go hand in hand. How am I doing when it comes to being obedient to God's word? Particularly, Paul points to sexual sins. Why would he do that? Because sexual promiscuity was everywhere. Marriages in the Greco-Roman world were set up by family arrangements. Young men in their 20s and young ladies in their teens had barely met when they married. 
The marriages were done as a legal arrangement for exchanging money, exchanging goods, and the ability to have children legitimately. But it created an, an environment where most people didn't expect husbands to be committed. Sexual misconduct and adultery were widespread. Prostitution was a business like any other source of income. There's a quote from Demosthenes. He lived several centuries before the Apostle Paul, and he wrote this, Mistresses we keep for our pleasure, concubines for our day-to-day physical well-being, and wives to bear us legitimate children. We believe that sexual exploration is something relatively new. We, we, we refer back to the 60s and the sexual revolution. Those practices have been going on as old as the Bible, as long as the Bible's been around. We live in an age in America where we're coming off the Puritan influence of our founders. For 300 years, Christian beliefs have influenced our society, but in the last 40 to 50 years, society in general is beginning to question all that biblical teaching. Sexual experimentation has been prevalent throughout human history and in the ancient Greek culture. Homosexual love was considered to be the highest form of love. Sex was tied to the worship of many ancient gods. And these ideas that have resurged are not new. We are not more enlightened than previous generations. When we ignore the totality of history, we get a false sense of our culture somehow evolving. They may seem new to us, but they have always existed, especially at the time of the writing of this particular letter in Thessalonians. Because it it is new to us, we think society has somehow progressed. This progress is is a new way of thinking. That's why people think God's Word is antiquated. The idea of sex being reserved for marriage is outdated. I mean, it's better to live together than get married. We want to try it out. It's like going to drive a car. I'm going to test drive the car. And then when you get it back, you decide whether you're going to buy it or not, right? Well, that's what we're doing with relationships. We try them out. Half the fun is finding out. Discovery. That's half the fun, isn't it? Because men and women don't smell the same after they get married. They're not, men are not always clean shaven. And that goes for women. I better move on. It's ideas, the Bible's ideas are hard to accept and hard to live out in today's society because we're bombarded with the fact that the Bible is out of date. Nobody really listens to it anymore. Being hard to accept and being hard to live out are really two different things. Both are signs of spiritual growth. But you will never get the struggle of trying to live it out if we don't first grow in the area of acceptance. A young man, I read a story about a young man, he was 18, he he went to work for the Army Corps of Engineers. And part of their job was clearing boundary lines in the woods and they would cut down the brush and carry it away. And one of the guys who was on the crew, his name was Lance, he was a forestry major in college. And uh, another guy that was working along with Lance uh, was holding poison ivy. And Lance said, hey, you've got poison ivy. And the guy says, ah, you're crazy. He said, I don't have poison ivy. I'll show you. But he just rubbed it all over his arms. So then he, then he stepped back and he began to analyze. He said, well, wait a minute. Lance is a forestry major. He studied plants and agriculture. And he does it for a living. <laughs> I should have listened to the forestry major. Always be in a position of growth. 
When it comes to the Bible, it's God's word, uh, his, it's God's wisdom for man. That word is his wisdom for us. The author of life knows what he's talking about. 1 Thessalonians 4, 8. Let's go back to that verse, Jeff. 1 Thessalonians 4, 8. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. So see, the rejection is not about us. It's about that we're rejecting God. If you don't listen, you're rejecting God. The cultures of men do not dictate whether the Bible is true. Cultures change, but God never changes. His word is consistent. It never changes. How many of you believe that? Amen? So what's my point? Could it be that obedience is tied to just how much we believe this Bible is true? How much we accept this to be the word for us? And it applies to us today. It applies in every way to us. It's not just in the area of sex outside of the marriage covenant, but it deals with tithing, forgiveness, and loving our enemies, and unifying when we should be unified. To show you how difficult it is in Tulsa for unity among, among races, Franklin Graham brought his crusade here. And I remember being in a meeting when he said, I find it difficult to be in Tulsa because there's so much friction for churches and races to come together and be in unity and harmony. How sad is that? How sad is that? It never, it doesn't matter what the color of a man's skin is or the color of their hair or lack of. It only matters about the Spirit of God that's flowing within them. Because that same blood died for every man and every woman and every person who accepts Jesus as their Savior. Amen? That's right. So we're going to get past that, and I love our church because we do that. We're, that's not a problem here, and I love our church because of it. And we're going to keep being that way. But we've got to embrace the truth that the Word teaches us, or we're going to have a hard time growing. Because how we act is dictated by what we believe. If that guy had believed it was poison ivy, <laughs> he wouldn't have rubbed it on himself. If you can change what a person believes... Action will follow, right? We have to start there. Maybe Paul's words in Romans 12 come to bear here. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind we find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And it's important that we get that mind renewed. How we think needs to change. And when you, when you begin to believe that the Bible is true, it will begin to transform you from the inside out. And the first step is believing that the book applies to you. Right now, where you are in every way. It's surprising to know how many people actually read the Bible. Statistically, around 20 to 25% of Christians claim to have read the Bible Entirely. Well, that's less than one in four people. That's not very many who are reading the Bible. And yet, we, we claim we know Him. Do you really? Do you really know Him? If you're not in it, if you're not in it consistently, how do you know? How do you know that you know? There's a lot of Bible reading programs out there. If you have the Bible app on your phone from Life Church TV, it's a great, great devotional thing. 
set it up to read it through the whole year. You can push the audio section. You don't even have to read. Let them read to you. Whatever. There's no excuse for not getting in the Word and getting through the Word of God in a year's, base, a year's time. None whatsoever. So I'd encourage you to consider that. So, first of all, how I act. Secondly, let's pick it up at verse 9 and first part of verse 10. Hopefully I have that in there. There we go. About brotherly love, you don't need me to write you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you are doing this toward all the brothers of the entire region of Macedonia. So number two, how I act. Secondly, how I treat others. How I treat others. Paul commends the Thessalonians for their love toward others. Apparently, they were well known for that. And when I talk with people many times, I ask them about their faith and they say they are Christian. I love it when a guy says, well, I'm Baptist. I say, well, I hope you're a Christian sometime. <laughs> oh, I, 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 you know what I mean, you know. It's just fun, fun conversations. Yeah, they're Christians. I know they are. But it's fun to talk with them. I think people want to be known as a Christian. I don't know if they want to all the time act like one. Usually we all struggle in some area when it comes to relationships. Do our emotions rule our reactions? Do we still blow up at people and get angry? When they cut you off in traffic, do you still do you, do you hold your fist up to them? Do we get all stressed out and flip out? Do we have a hard time forgiving people? Well, I'll forgive you, but I'll never forget it. Well, you're going to have to work on that, friend. Do I care if I hurt other people? Do I yell at people? I remember the boys were getting really loud, and, and I kept and trying to be calm. It says a still, small voice calms the storm, right? So I was trying to be very calm, and pretty soon I was yelling louder than them, and Cindy's just busted up laughing. I said, what are you laughing at? <laughs> she said, well, listen to yourself. I said, what? <laughs> the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4.32, and I really read this verse a lot, be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. So because you and I have been forgiven, then we have to extend that kindness and tenderheartedness and love. Amen? And boy, the more we do it, the better it is. It's really foundational to all relationships. So are you making progress in these areas? Don't think I'm suggesting that you need to be perfect. I mean, see that Philippians verse that we talked about earlier. But are we changing? It should be less and less and to a lesser degree with less intensity. People should see tenderness where temper used to be. They should see forgiveness where vengeance once ruled our life. These are big indicators if God is doing something in your life. You may find it hard to believe, but I used to have an anger problem. I got angry at stuff. And so I began to pray for God to help me Every day in, this, in, that, in that area of my life. Discovered I needed to apologize to a pretty good sized group of people. So I began that process of asking forgiveness. That alone is humbling. But I needed to do it. And then I needed to commit that area to God. And so when I felt like I was going to get upset about something, I would just cast it on the Lord. And what God always did to me during those times is he'd say, how you doing? It's going to be okay. You don't know what kind of day they're having. 
you don't know what shoes their path has been walking. So just take a deep breath and relax. And then I start singing, everything's going to be all right. Yes, I've got a feeling. And by, the, by that time, you're over the mad that you were, you see. I don't get upset when people cut me off in traffic. I figure they're in that big a hurry. What's really funny is, and, and Cindy tried to teach me this, but what's really funny is after they've passed you because they're in such a hurry, you catch up with them at the stoplight where you were going anyway. Isn't it fun? I like to roll up right to them and go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But over time, I grew in that area. There's other areas I'm still working on. I probably will be all my life. But you know what? I want to keep working on them. I don't want to think I've arrived yet. I hope you're in the same position. But what I've learned is, is that we're really good at hiding the flaws. We're really good at it. We may convince ourselves that we're doing fine in certain areas, but we just set ourselves up for the fall. We keep converse, from conversations, situations that can cause us to blow up. We put up walls to keep people from hurting us so we don't need to forgive them. We don't let people in. We, don't, we keep them at arm's length. We don't want to get hurt. So, and we do all that and call ourselves normal. When the truth is, the best way to know if you're changing in these areas is to ask somebody close to you. But let me caution you. If you're going to do that, be ready for what they're going to say. And you give them complete freedom to say whatever they need to say. And don't overreact to it. But ask a dear friend to be honest with you. And if they're a true friend, they will be. But it takes a lot of bravery to do that. If the thought of asking that question kind of scares you, Jesus was invited to the home of Simon the Pharisee. While he was there, a woman came in weeping, washed his feet with tears, dried them with her hair, anointed his feet with oil. And we often remember the story from the position of the woman, but I would have you look at the other side of the story. Simon says to himself, if only he knew this type of woman, if only he knew who this woman was. <laughs> and Jesus knew what he was thinking. And in Luke 7, here's what he said. He turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, which was the custom, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, which was the custom, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, which was the custom, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who has forgiven little shows only little love. Boy, that's powerful. Last statement. If you have been forgiven of great things, you can extend greater forgiveness to others. And you should. We should. The person who has been fully experiencing forgiveness can turn right around and give it away. Because if your life has dramatically experienced love and forgiveness of Jesus, then you will be fundamentally changed forever. You may need counseling to get over it. Don't be afraid of it. Counseling is a good thing. Find a good Christian counselor. I've got some I'll recommend. How I act, how I treat others. Let's look at our last section of Scripture. But we encourage you, brothers, to do so even more, to seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, 
and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. I should have highlighted, mind your own business. So that you may walk properly in the presence of the outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. How I act, how I treat others, and then thirdly, the presence of fruit in my life. The Bible says, talking about, or Paul is talking here in the Bible about having an impact, having that Bible have an impact in your life. And the Bible says you can tell a tree by its fruit. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from the bushes or figs from the thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. So if you've got stuff in your life that needs to be cleaned up, clean it up. Clean it up. If you cuss, don't say, pardon my French, because a miracle happens. We all understood exactly what you said. It's an Acts 2 experience. We don't, I don't know French. The only French I know is fries. But what type of fruit are we referring to? What is Jesus talking about? People ask you for godly advice. You have an influence on those in your family, friends, especially those at work that know you're a believer, know you're a Christian. People begin accepting your invitations to church. That's when you know things are happening in your life in the right way. Because they see you beyond the church and they see there's a different person here. He's altogether different. The type of fruit can only come from God. You can't produce it by trying or straining for it. It, it only comes from God. Luke, uh, John 15, 4. Remain in me and I remain in you for a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitless unless you remain in, or fruitful unless you remain in me. True spiritual growth only comes when you're connected to the vine. When you're staying close to God. And the more time you spend with Him, the more you will change. The more you'll change. I always can tell when I'm neglecting my time with Jesus. Fear creeps in. Attitude changes. Everything seems to get out of whack. God made us to be as close to Him as possible. And when I'm walking that close walk, greater things happen. When things are busy, we often put the power, uh, the, that, that most powerful thing in our lives on a back burner. John 15, 8 says, When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples, and that brings great glory to our Father. So, let me close real quickly. Back to the question I posed at the beginning of the message. What do you want to be? What do you want to be when Christ returns? Are you getting ready? Are you doing anything today to make a change for when that day comes? How many people in, in our church today have made a bucket list? Things that you want to get done before you die. Anybody? Anybody make a bucket list? Just, just me and Curtis? <laughs> really? Okay, thank you. Three or four more of you? They're fun to make. Now, you may not get them all done, but they're fun to make. They are. And maybe you're saying, I don't have a bucket list. I still feel like I've got plenty of time. I don't need to worry about that. I don't feel like the return of Jesus is coming anytime soon anyway. In 2 Peter 3, it says, Scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. See, the Bible tells us that unbelievers will ask that kind of question. But I think Christians are asking that question too. 
Many of us think in the same way, I'll prepare for it when the day gets closer. We'll make decisions about change and preparation as the time draws near. Oh, I'll rush in in the 11th hour. Oh man, I'll get there when I get there. Oh, one of these days. Oh, one of these days. Then they have a heart attack. Man, they get religious all of a sudden. Normally they call me and they want to know, is there a special project at church? So in other words, they're going to pay for the project and somehow that's going to catch them up with God. God could care less about their money. He's wanting their heart. Because if he's got their heart, he'll have everything else. We think things like faith are time sensitive. (laughs) Maybe you've been going to church for years and you don't see any significant change in your life. You come regularly to service, but there's no inward change. There's no difference in you. You still speak out of turn. You still hurt people with what you say. Because you don't think before you speak. Anybody know somebody like that? Surely it's not you. We, we know other people that are like that. Amen? It's not me. It's somebody else. Boy, I can tell you, preacher. I can give a list. What are some practical next steps to make sure that you're growing? How about membership? Membership in a church is a great way to, to demonstrate that. Why? Because you're saying to the community and to your friends and family, This is my church. This is where I'm going to go. This is where I'm going to plant my roots. And this is where I'm going to grow. Hey, I want you to come be a part of it. Growing churches are those who are bringing other people to church with them. Amen? That's the key. That's the key. Secondly is baptism. Why put it off? The Bible is very clear. Baptism is by immersion in the scripture. It says they went down into the water, dipped, plunged, put him underneath. That's baptism. And brought up out of the water. It's It's real simple. But you may have grown up in a, in a uh, faith culture that practiced something different than that. That's fine. But as part of this church, this is how we teach. And so we'd love to have the opportunity to teach you more. I have a brochure on the back table just on baptism here at River Oaks. Take the brochure. Study it yourself. And then let me know. I, I'd be glad to sit down and study with you. But I challenge you, go from the book of Acts forward... And you show me one time somebody was converted to Christ and they weren't baptized by immersion. Didn't happen. But you know what? As, as important as that is, the most important aspect of all of our conversion is a changed heart. Because if you don't change your heart, water's not going to do you much good. You're going to go in dry, come out wet, and still have the sourpuss look on your face. You ought to, you ought to rise and walk into new life. You ought to come out of that water shouting, Hallelujah! Some of you might remember old Joe uh, Kincaid, no-toes Joe, had half his legs were gone from an accident when he was in high school. Do you remember when we baptized him? I had a chair in there, and he hopped down into the chair, and because both of us were pretty big, the water began to disperse through the overflow, and you could hear it going, and he goes, oh, man, there go my sins down the drain. I said, boy, I better hold you under right now because we're in trouble here. Each of us have a limited time. We read it earlier. I want to add a verse. Psalm 90, verse 10, and then read 12 again. Seventy years are given to us. Some even live to 80. But even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we fly away. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. My brother Tommy waited 67, 68 years to say yes to Jesus. And we buried him a week ago. 
at 70 years old. But you know what? He's enjoying heaven as much as I, I will when I get to go there. And I, I've served Jesus all of my adult life. But you know what? I'm rejoicing because I get to see Him again. But what a tragedy of the influencing that He could have done for the Lord, you see. But I'm grateful that He found Him. And if you found out that you only had a year to live, how would that change your life? Maybe you were told a month or a week. How would that change what you do and what your priorities are? What if you knew that Christ was coming back tonight? Would you sit at home and pop open the beer and drink you one? Would you get rid of the pornography off of your computer and out of your house? Would you change some of the behaviors and attitudes and way you speak to people? If you knew He was coming back tonight, you see, boy, we'd clean it up just real fast. But the Bible says He will come like a thief in the night. He will come in the twinkling of an eye. You have no idea when He's going to come. But rest assured, He is coming. And if you knew that Christ was coming back tonight, don't wait. Don't wait. Because He may very well come tonight. So don't wait. He'll come after the Denver Broncos game. I'm sure He will. Because <laughs> He loves Peyton Manning too. It'd be just like him to come at halftime, would it? Just, just like him. But he's going to come back. So the question is, are you ready? Father, we ask you this morning to touch our hearts in such a way that we understand that you're coming back to get us. And that coming is sooner than we think. We've put it off for a long time. We keep saying, well, one of these days I'm going to make those changes. And God, the sad part about a message like this is so many people who need to hear this message, they're not even here. But the ones that are here can take this message to those that needed to hear it. And really, that's what it's all about. So Jesus, I want to thank you, first of all, that you've saved us from our sin. And I want to thank you that you've promised to come back. And then thirdly, I want to make sure that we're all ready. So God, here's the invitation. Here's the movement that you can bring in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing a great song above all. God's tugging on your heart to make a decision. Would you do it today?